The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 176 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, how are you? I'm good, Barry. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, just I'll, I'll get an, an early morning. I went out for my lunch today to try, <laughs> try and be a little bit healthier. I was getting takeaway stuff. It was like this veggie chili thing with like some brown rice and that. So I'll, I'll go for that. Got it. Put it on the counter. Some of the sauce like was already like coming out the box. And I said to the girl, I said, "Oh, could you please?" Um, sorry, I've spilled some of that. I, there's no napkins there. Oh, don't worry, honey. I'll get that. Okay, no problem. Picked it up and then a ton of it like came oozing out, all onto uh, my onto my uh, hand and down my fucking sleeve. And Alex, uh, it was it was scalding water. I nearly dropped the uh, thing. Uh, right? So I went, oh, and she went, oh, you want me to get rid of some of that juice? And so I was like, yeah, please. So she goes and pours, like, just holds the thing, pours out this, like, chilly oozing juice, like hot water. And at the minute goes, oh, there you go. I'll leave some in so, you know, it's not too dry. I was like, thanks. I got out to my car. I was like, I normally sit there, it's like down near the water and stuff, you know, good view, and I'll sit and have my lunch there sometimes if I'm eating out. And I was sitting and I just felt my hand heating up, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, there was a bottle of water I had and it was cold out the fridge, so I put that on it and that was giving me some relief. And then I took it off and I sat again. I was like, no, this is just burning and burning. So I just drove home, had to literally just keep it under the tap, you know what they do for burns. Uh, like. And, <laughs> like, and then I sat with it in a bowl of water. So, yeah, as usual, I'm nursing something. And, um, yeah, it's still stinging. And that was like, you know, about an hour and a half ago or something. But it's had plenty of water and stuff on it. Know, there's a tiny little blister. But, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's how my days went so far. Um, that's the drama of the OneOuter.com podcast. <laughs> Alex episodes uh, host. That, that that's my life. Getting burned by some veggie chili. You, you're better just. I'm better just being unhealthy. You know. It's like, yeah, you should. Yeah, got. You should have gotten some pot stickers. You would have been. Would have avoided this mess. Yeah, I just went to McDonald's or Burger King drive-through. You never get scalded from them. You know. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure there's a very famous hot coffee case with McDonald's, but right. yes, I see your point. <laughs> the Normally, apple pies. The apple pies are deadly sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you just don't have taste buds for five days after you bite into one. 
So what's been happening with you? Any uh, food-related injuries? Uh, no, no, no food-related injuries. Uh, this week, uh, Split Suit was nice enough to commission a pretty serious lecture. The way this stuff works now is just to keep the lights on. You do need people paying for different videos because I'm not at the stage in my career where I can just spend a week doing something for the fun of it. Uh, when you're starting, you should do that, especially if you have your expenses very low. But uh, I had this video that I've wanted to make for six or nine months just about river play, and Split Suit was kind enough to uh, allow me to speak to his viewers, and that kind of helps because now I'm seeing a new base, and uh, that's kind of a commission, just being able to talk to new people. And that justifies the however many hours it takes to build the lecture, which actually does take its time. And more than just putting together the PowerPoint, what's really important is fixing the situations, getting the concepts just right, finding the terminology, all the practice with different students to see what chain of words gets the concept through and what word combination is not and picking the right combinations and anyway what came out was this hour-long lecture which is not going to be released on YouTube but I do have a download link that I can share with email subscribers so if actually I think I I think I can share it on the one outer podcast I just I'm, I'm not going to put it on YouTube because it's going to be it's one of those things that's exclusive to Split Suits base and my base, but not going on YouTube. Uh, so, yeah, that that took most of my week putting that together. I'm really happy with the product. I'm really happy with the product, and it's really nice just building something. Uh, I never really got that feeling with poker. I've always told people. It sounds like a joke, but when poker wasn't going that well, I'd always say as a joke, I'm going back to landscaping because that was something I did, not exactly at a very high level, but I did do. That's how I paid my rent uh, when I first uh, moved into my own place in high school is that was uh, landscaping and things like that. And the thing I liked about that job at the end of the day is you had something to look at. You had something you did and it's really nice to have that and I did get that feeling doing this lecture putting it together uh, I can't imagine split suits a good guy I can't imagine the what he would be mad if I shared it with a one outer uh, podcast listener so I'll, I'll get the download link there uh, for Barry to put in the liner notes. We also like putting Barry to work here, so <laughs> we'll make sure to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah it came out really good. Uh, I got a lot of ideas about the river out. There's a lot of things about river play I don't think people realize. It, it, it's amazing to me because if you do a three-bet, like a successful three-bet bluff, that's one of the most or successful three-bet semi-bluff, that is one of the most 
profitable plays you can make pre-flop, and it's good for like two big blinds on average. Uh, a raise that's successful is good for a big blind on average. And then you get these people, that that's pretty much where your money comes from in poker, is picking the right free bets, picking the right opens. That's your jab cross, as it were. Uh, and... You have people that like open a jack nine suited to 2.5x and a guy makes it 8x and they don't even think about it and they call. And it's it. You're calling out of position an 8x with a jack nine? And it, by the way, that's eight orbits. Like, uh, that's the next 72 hands of your big blinds that you just posted out of position with jack nine suited. And then the real atrocity is when you get to the river and somebody bets like 15x into 46 and the other person doesn't even think and they just call because it's a small enough bet and they want to see what the guy has. 15x is like you imagine uh, raising preflop and seven times everybody folds to you. When was the last time that happened to you, Barry? You just raised and... Uh, well, my Oh, right. I can hear I can hear scrambled feedback this time, Alex. That's new, new special effects you put in there. Not now, not now, but initially, yeah. Um, Alex likes to you know ask me to work, but he also likes to make my life a misery with uh, any time I talk. It's like this is the voice of the Mister Rons. That's what it's like. It's like it's like I don't know. That maybe went all over the head. Did you get Captain Scarlet in the U.S.? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, but no, I don't have it. It was like Thunderbirds. It was like 1960s puppets, you know, and it was a show like that. And it was, this is the voice of the Mysterons. That's what I sounded like when I came through there. So uh, maybe only UK listeners got that reference. But, um, yeah, when you say that, you know, that's an, I always remember you talking about, I can't remember what the number was. I think it was maybe, let me see if I can go into my memory bank and pull it out and see that Alex, when he's talking, I actually take some of it in myself. Um, it was raising, like, kings, you know, find if you manage to pick up, I want to say, is it eight big blinds or something for kings, is it? Yeah, kings, on average, makes you five big blinds. Five, like, five. Yeah, and aces, not, aces were eight or nine, was it, or something? Yeah, aces are like eight to ten, yeah. Yeah, so when you said that, I always stuck in my mind. You know, like, it's like you say that analogy of running a little business almost and like your what products are doing well and like in terms of like substitute products for moves in poker or, or whatever little things you're doing and, you know, cut your loss ones or... Maybe even, I started thinking, like, maybe even have, like, lost leaders. You know, I don't know what that would be for you, but, like, maybe showing, you know, not showing the cards when you get caught, but, yeah, like, small, tiny bluffs and stuff here, and that maybe, you know, it might not be uh, profitable or whatever there, but in terms of, like, image and stuff, it might be. So, like, lost leaders, you know, like, the way businesses do that. And when you say that again there, it's like, people don't think that, do they? It's like that. You know, there's 40k in the pot, someone bets 15, they got second pair, it's like, right, call. You know, all right, okay, you got it, right, muck. And it's like 15 big blinds, and they've maybe only got a 40 big blind stack, and now they're down to like 25 big blind territory. And I, I do see that a lot. I do see people finding it hard to call, and then they say, oh, you know, there's too much in the middle. And they probably never even added up what was in the middle. Well, exactly, and the thing to remember, I've been saying this a lot over the last few weeks, but 19 out of 20 of those guys 
is a losing player, are losing players. So if you're doing something that the whole card room thinks is a good idea, chances are it's a losing play. Mm. And one of those plays is, like you just said, there's 40 in the middle, the guy bets 15, and the guy just calls with second pair. And it's really funny because when was the last time you missed the river, saw 40 in the pot, and said, quick, bet 15? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not doing... I ask these two questions to a bunch of people on lessons. I go, uh, when was the last time you folded to a one-third pot size bet on the river? And they, they pause for a second. They say never. And I go, when was the last time you called it one-third pot size bet on the river and it was a bluff? They say never. And I go, isn't that a little interesting? But my true belief is humans are irrational. They're, humans look at life through filters. And there are certain filters that come on, blinders, as it were, when people are gambling that really prevent them from playing great hold'em. Uh, I'm re- I just finished a book by Scott Adams, his newest book. It's called Win Bigly. But he was talking about persuasion tactics the entire book. He, he points out how Trump was using a lot of them in his campaign. Uh, he's a, he sounds pretty rabidly democratic, like pretty liberal, but he was pointing out like a year before Trump got elected, this guy's going to get elected because this is just very basic persuasion and people have their filters on and they want to be persuaded in this way. And it's just not coming from the Hillary camp, his most likely challenger. Now I, I was pretty dubious of that. And then I, I read that book and now I'm reading, uh, persuasion, uh, also thinking fast and slow talks a lot about this, how humans are systematically irrational and you can see it at the poker table constantly, which is on the river. You're faced with two options. One, you fold and you concede a pretty substantial loss, uh, calling pre-flop flop turn, usually a pretty big pot out there. Or you can gamble for a really big pot or a slightly more substantial loss. Most people don't feel the degree of severity between a substantial loss and a more substantial loss, right? The pain is about equal. Therefore, they will not look at the situation logically. They won't ask themselves, what do I be? They just out of fear of the pain of the loss, they can't stand conceding the pain of the loss. They'll gamble, and they'll gamble all the time. It's, uh, they've tested for it. We talked about this in a previous uh, podcast where people have to uh, make a decision. Either you kill 400 people out of 600 with one serum or you can gamble to save all 600 one-third of the time and two-thirds of the time you kill all 600 people in your little village if you're picking between antidotes for a virus and people when faced with a certain loss 80 percent of them will gamble uh and i think you see that come out on river play quite often and there's a way to exploit that and to this day, I see human biases. There was, a, I, I, in the lecture, I'm showing a hand where on the river, 
your opponent's range. This kind of gives things away. So if you guys want to test yourselves when you see the uh, when you see the instructional video, maybe you should go ahead five minutes in the podcast. But on the river, your opponent's range is third pair or fourth pair, pretty much the majority of it on the river, right? And I said, bet one third pot here instead of a jam, even though you have a pretty clear jam. And there were still people in the chat that were saying, like, oh, that's very unbalanced. That's bad. And I'm I'm the only guy sitting there, and a, a lot of my colleagues say the same thing. Oh, that's so horribly unbalanced. They're so horribly unbalanced. And I, I'm the only one sitting there going, the guy you're playing probably watches Staten Island Hustle every day. He's not balancing and he's got third or fourth pair. What do you think he's going to do to a jam? And by the way, if you score that one third pot size, that, that's 10 big blinds. You just manufactured aces. Everybody does this crap. Oh, if I got dealt aces as much as this guy, I'd win a poker tournament. Yeah, I'd win a poker tournament. Guess what? This is your opportunity right here, and you're not taking it. Why? Because you want to look like everybody else. What is everybody else doing? Well, 19 out of 20 of them are losing because they're all just co-opting these methods that are used by high-stakes players to balance in the highest-stakes games that nobody should be using when you're trying to poach from bad players. When Chip Reese showed up for a cash game, do you think he was thinking of balancing? No, he was trying to clean out the guy without pissing the guy off. If the guy had a leak, he had a leak. If he was going to call this bet with third pair, but he wasn't going to call that bet with third pair, and third pair is what this guy had most of the time, that was the bet that came out there. Now, if he was playing against Doyle, I'm sure there's some balancing. There's a lot of balancing, I'm sure. But you're not playing against Doyle most of the time. I'm trying to teach you how to make money. This is, I always ask people, what's the goal in poker, right? What's your goal? And they say this. I want to become the best poker player I can go be. And I go, no, your goal is to make money. There's a difference. I am fine being the most mediocre pro you've ever seen who's made more money than you. I am fine making more money than most of my competition who are much better than I am. It's about making money. That means getting yourself in softer games and doing the bets that your opponents will respond to. Not this amalgam of imaginary opponents that you're not dealing with most of the time. And I'm really, I, I really like the, to pivot a little bit, Barry was talking about the different perspective shifts that we try to discuss here on One Outer when it comes to poker. What's something that's really fascinating to me is poker's a little bit of an investing game. Each, each hand you get is a stock. Now, let's say you get pocket kings. Let's say that's like Microsoft, right? Well, Microsoft is generally going to improve, but just like the stock market, you don't know. Things happen. Poker, poker if you this way, poker is played for pennies. Uh, people think this is a really big deal. The, if you won, in the words of Dennis Peterson, he's won, the guy's got a lot of wisdom, right? We were just BSing one day, and he, he pointed out 
something I've never thought of. We were, we were in WPT Montreal, and he goes, if you win this tournament in back-to-back years, you cannot retire. $400,000 one year, $400,000 the next year, two WPT championships. You'll be a legend, right? After taxes, it's what, 500000 Do you think you can retire off that in the first world? Certainly not, especially not if you have kids. We're playing for pennies. You're never going to get enough hands in. Wall Street traders do hundreds of thousands of trades per day, and they still have to deal with variance. You're playing 100 hands in a day. To get hundreds of thousands of hands, it's going to take all year. And guess what? You can still run horrible during those hundreds of thousands of hands. This is why it's a really good idea to stay in school, to keep a day job, and to play with money you can afford to lose. And if you are going to play professionally, you need to have a substantial amount of money set aside and a backup plan. And you should probably invest in learning new skills, going to night school, things of that nature, getting your real estate license, whatever you want to do. But if you're going to play this game, it's very fun, but it's like a little game of Monopoly, right? And the big problem when we play poker is we look at it as there's a, there's a difference between NBA basketball and street ball. Street ball is about out-aggressing the other person. NBA basketball is finesse. The high-value shots are the three-pointer and the two-point shot right underneath the rim. That statistically is going to get you the highest number of points, and if you multiply that by the most possessions and you deny possessions to the other team, you're going to win more games, right? That is a very finesse-driven way to win NBA basketball games. Obviously, that's an oversimplification, but let's use that right now for the case at hand. Street ball is about, I'm going to out-aggress the other person. Watch me dunk on this guy. What you see right now in No Limit Hold'em is brawlers. Brawlers. You see guys trying to show off the biggest bluff, the biggest call down. That is not poker. To me, well, you know what? That's not how you make money. And again, to make money, you don't need to be the best player. I have never... I know this is going to sound super condescending, but I have never bothered myself with something as childish as wanting to look like the best player. You need to be in this for the money. And if you are in this for the money, there's a lot of things you can pull off. For one, well, look at it this way. If you, if you read any book by any investor, as Barry has done, as I have done, mega investors, what's very interesting is a lot of them are really humble, and they always say there's a lot of things I don't know. Have you noticed that, Barry, when you read yeah. Nicholas and Seam yeah. Taleb or any of those guys? Yeah, like Buffett. They all say, there's a lot of things I don't know. What they do is, they... <laughs> They, there's a few things they do know, and they diversify as much as possible, so they're applying that strategy across as many small investments as possible. That means no 
tremendous loss can really take them out ever. Now, there's a reason you're never going to hear Warren Buffett say, I'm putting 50% of my portfolio in Bitcoin. The reason for that being Bitcoin could replace the world's currency in 10 years or it could not exist. We don't know. What he does know is if he keeps picking little companies that have the ideas and business practices that he has deemed profitable, he'll generally do okay. Poker is a lot like this. There are certain things we know almost always make you money. If you open and nobody three bets you, generally you're going to make money. You open five seven suited under the gun. An atrocious open, many people would say, but if nobody can three bet you, there's no real way you can lose. If five people call you, you're hitting the flop enough of the time, you'll make money. If three people call you, it's the same thing. If one person calls you, you can outplay them. The biggest problem is when you open and you get three bet. Unless you're opening like a six officer and you get flatted by four people, you're not going to be losing money. If you open in later position with better hands and people do not three bet you, you have placed yourself in games where people will not three bet you, every one of those opens is good for half a big blind, a big blind, what have you. If you three bet people who open too much and they are unlikely to four bet you, if they do not four bet you, you will make a profit. If you continuation bet into a person and you know why you're continuation betting, you know he has ace high or worse 50% of the time, and you are doing a bet that does not need to work more than 50% of the time, but it does get him to full ace highs, you're going to turn a profit, a big blind, every single time. So here you're just clocking one big blind, two big blind, one big blinds, right? And when you're in position, you have top pair, top kicker, and you have a loose player calling you down, generally it's going to be a profitable hand. So you bet for three streets, and you do the gimme bet on the river, and you get 10 big blinds. There you go. Here's all your bread and butter bets. I just taught you how to make money from poker for the rest of your life. But you know why people won't do it, Barry? Because Bitcoin just might blow up. Because when you bet pocket aces on a jack nine five board and the other guy raises and you know he's probably got a set, it's still aces. It's still Microsoft. Maybe it's going to pan out. And instead of going, I don't know what is going on here. And now the investment is going to take up most of my portfolio, right? I have no other option. I have to buy in for all my chips or I have to quit. And I have no idea what's going on at this point. I know when I three bet and this guy doesn't four bet, I'm making this much. When I'm opening and this guy doesn't three bet, I'm making this much. When I C bet to these parameters, I'm making this much. And when I value bet, I'm making money hand over fist. I do not know what to do here. And it's a 40 big blind pot, which will erase all of my river bets, all of my three bets, all of my opens. And people will not fold that hand. That is it. That is the downfall of every player you have ever heard. And most of it happens on the river. Most people do not realize the river is the lightning round. If you fudge one river, it usually destroys all the equity you've made for the past hour, five hours, and yet they treat it as a gimme round. How many times have you seen a guy just bet 15 big blinds in a 40 berry, and the other guy doesn't even think? He just throws it in. How many times have you seen that? Yeah. It, like every time you go to the card room, 20 times a night? 
That is crazy. It's insanely awful poker. And then people sit here and tell me poker is getting tougher. They look me in the eye and tell me that. In, In which case, there was a minor league baseball coach that used to say this all the time. If you don't like it here, you should do a better job. And that's really the crux of the matter, if that's the way, right way to put it. That's really the meat of the matter. You, <laughs> if you're looking at this from the eyes of a hustler, if you're looking at this from the eyes of I'm trying to make money, not I'm looking for the most badass river call I could do, the most badass bluff I could do. No, you're being an adult and saying this is a mini little investing game and I'm going to make my money. That's how you're going to make your money. If you treat this game, this glorified game of Monopoly, as if it's going to save your life, as if it's going to prove you're a man, you're going to lose. You're going to lose before you sit down. All right, let's do some questions, Barry. Okay. All right. The first question this week is from Brian. Tomorrow should be interesting. WSOP New Jersey is merging with Vegas, and I think Delaware or PA. Um, the upside is more action, obviously, but it comes with the downside of no HUD since they're banned in Vegas. I like using a HUD to see EV odds, pot odds, and of course stats on other players. So I guess I'll have to get off that crutch and get better at calculating or remembering these for myself. This might be a good article for you to do for the players that will be involved by the merger. Hey, uh, well, here's the thing. I literally wrote the book on HUDs, and I'm going to tell you most of the time you don't need a HUD. Uh, Like, you'll play much better poker if you have a HUD and you have a significant number of hands. But what I do nine times out of ten doesn't require a HUD. I do it when I play live. I do it when I play online with people I've never met before, which is... I just clock what they open every time they open, and I get to see the hand. Most of these sites have hand history replayers. You can just read, if you're, even if you're three or four or five tabling, you just make sure that you replay every hand. When you get dealt another hand at online poker, make it part of your routine to click the last hand and just flip through it really quick and see who opened what from what position. This allows you to target. If somebody is opening suited gappers down to a very far reach of the range, or suited two gappers, you can go after them. And if they're opening dry aces, ace eight offsuit, ace six offsuit, you can three bet damn near anything you want. And you should be doing it, that. That is the 90-10, I mean the 10-90, of what I use my HUD for. Who do I get to target and target that person? Force that person to play big pots out of position with mediocre hands. And you can do that without a HUD. You just have to be observant, and you need to be taking notes. Uh, That's 90% of what I do with a HUD. I think I affect the final 10% more than better than most people, but nine times out of ten, I don't get to use it because I don't have enough hands on somebody. So live and online, this is what you're looking for. I think this is a tremendous opportunity for you. I know it's sad to have to leave the HUD because it kind of feels like being a fighter pilot with all your different gauges, but I think you'll do just fine, and this is a tremendously good thing for poker. Good luck to you. 
just to pick up on that, Alex, I said this before when you thought, a lot of it is just, it's, it's funny this, you know, but if you pay attention, you seem to play better and be more aware and more options open to you and more situations open up in your favour and your thought process. When you actually say, like, I'm going to sit and pay attention here and play poker rather than, you know, sit on the phone or whatever, daydream, staring at the waitress, whatever, you know. <laughs> it's like, if you actually say, I'm going to pay attention here and focus until the breaks and the dinner breaks and stuff, it's amazing what information you can pick up and see how, I said it before, how many other people aren't, as soon as they're out of hand, they're just not looking at anything. Yeah, it- <laughs> It's amazing. Imagine a sports better watching. We'll go back to the beginning, NBA basketball, and just playing words with friends while the games are playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy can't even affect the game he's watching. But if he's a professional sports better, he probably should be watching it. He should be seeing if there's something others aren't seeing. You can affect the game you're at quite profoundly when you're playing No Limit Hold'em. Uh, I have a part in my new book, I just reread the first draft a little bit recently, lots of typos, but I'm really excited about this book. There's a typo right there. I'm really excited about this book. And one of the sections that I think is going to be really helpful for people is called How to Pay Attention at the Poker Table. On Barry's point, if you pay attention, you'll be amazed at what you can do. And... One of the things I recommend you do in the book, obviously I elaborate on this quite a bit more when I have 80,000, 100,000 words or whatever it is to uh, do so, but after every single hand, write down a note, just any note. And I fully admit, I don't read these notes later. Sometimes on the break, like at the WSOP main, like, yeah, okay, I'm reading the notes and trying to see if there's any pattern that's emerging I'm not catching there. But 90% of what is going to be helpful for doing those notes is just to make sure you're paying attention to every hand like Barry is saying. If you have to take a note after every hand, you will pay attention to every single hand. And I do a little thing, like I always pick something stupid I want to spend money on. Like, you'll always see me at Barnes & Noble in Las Vegas. There's like one of them, believe it or not. Barnes & Noble, by the way, is a bookstore, Barry, in the United States, if you didn't know what it was. Okay, cool. Yeah, but... It's like the only bookstore, by the way, now. But uh, uh, I do this thing where every time I write a note, I get a dollar. But if I miss a hand, I lose $25 from my fund, right? And if I miss a hand with a showdown, I lose 50. So what ends up happening is, you know, usually at the end of the day, I get a... I get a stupidity budget, right? I always miss like two hands, by the way, right? So I think one time I made out with like 101 bucks and that was my record. But normally you just end up getting like 60 bucks, 80 bucks, which really isn't anything if you're playing any substantial high stakes tournament. And then you can spend that on something silly that's not that expensive. So I go to minor league baseball games. I spend it on books or whatever. But if you end up in the negative, you've got to punish yourself some way. Uh, there's a lot of things you could do. Uh, I, in the book, I just recommended you spend four hours studying that night because that was what really got me ahead. 
is every time I wasn't working hard, I had to work harder. But you can do charity work. You can run reminders, just win sprints or something, whatever it's going to be, right? But you got to find a way to punish yourself because in the first world, we really lose that eye of the tiger for the lack of a better term, uh, lack of a better phrase. It's just so easy when we're in our air-conditioned palaces not to take anything seriously. Uh, Let's go to the next question, Barry. Okay. The next question is from Jeff. Hi, Barry and Alex. I have a question for the show. When playing live tournaments in Las Vegas against the typical uh, typical field concept as Alex has been discussing in recent shows... What are some pointers for playing buy-ins in the $300 to $500 range? What should I definitely be trying and definitely not be trying? Love the show. Thanks for putting these out for us all. Terrific question. Uh, $300 to $500 is like, by the way, like I I salivate. Uh, I drool when I hear that because... Those are the best tournaments in Vegas, right? Like the Planet Hollywood, the Binion's Horseshoe, like the $300 buy-ins. Nobody there can play for crap, man. And they, I, I'm just going to say this right now because it's true. North American poker players are horrendous, dude. Like half this stuff would not fly in Europe. I mean, it would fly in your country, Barry, because it's an English-speaking country. I know that sounds weird, but if... It's, it, uh, if you go to these Eastern European countries or these small countries that are like pockets of people who U.S. dollars are worth a lot of money to, and you have to really fight to get the English language text on poker, the general caliber of poker player is going to be very good, just because the buy-ins are very high, no matter what it is in U.S. dollars or euros, and... To gain poker wisdom, the people that are going to be into it and have the money to do that had to fight very hard for it. But in North America and the United Kingdom, people just have money, man. And it's awesome. (laughs) And one of the things I look for with the $300 and $500 tournaments, uh, just find the guys. I I know guys I have. I talk about this a lot. But look for the guys who open too much. You won't have to look that hard and something I forgot to bring up with uh, the gentleman who asked about the HUDs pretty much anytime somebody opens from the hijack or cutoff now or even the low jack they're opening too many hands I don't even wait to see a hand I just start three betting live it's even better because if, if the guy's under the age of 40 you know almost for a fact he's not folding jack nine suited five seven suited even when it gets folded to him in the low jack He's just, it's time to raise. Live poker also is boring. You take people that, what was the last time you were really bored, Barry, off your cell phone? Really bored? Uh, I don't know, probably waiting somewhere. Yeah, but like, even if you're waiting somewhere, like it's hard to remember the last time you were bored, right? Because anytime you're bored, you just whip out the cell phone and here you go. Yeah. Here's something to do. You take those kind of people... With money, remember, these guys have the money to burn, usually. Economy's kicking butt here in the United States. You, you put those people with money to burn, you put them at the table, and you bore them to hell, they're not folding anything. If it gets folded to them, they want to open. 
And you have to attack when they do that. To this day, people still take a three bet as if it's this amazing thing. As if, it, oh my God, you must have a really strong hand. Phil Hellmuth, I, I, love, I love Phil Hellmuth, by the way. What did he call it? I remember in some interview he goes, I forgot about the power of coming over the top. And I was just like, I love you, Phil. It's not that serious, but okay, right? It's like people, even a guy like Hellmuth sees it as this big play. When really, if a guy's opening 30% of the hands... It's almost a second big blind. It's just like, oh, by the way, I have the top third of my range. That's nothing. You know how many garbage to, like, like 10-9 highs that is? And you three-bet these people, and what they have to do if they want to come back at you, they have to – let me know the last time you found a player who could do this. One, they have to four-bet with scary efficiency. It is very difficult to four-bet effectively. Two – they have to call you in like donk bet the size of the pot or like check raise 70% of the board, right? How many guys do you know who can do that, Barry? Very few. Yeah, it's in, every time I do the equity calc, I'm like, I really think this shouldn't have to be that. Uh, it, 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 this should be not as hard. But the other thing is, if they do flash you, they have a bit of a point, but they just hold on to that so much, which is... Essentially, if you open and you fold, you lose 2.5x or whatever it is, right? If you open and then call, you lose 2.1x, 1.5x. Like the best in the world will actually make a profit, right? But the problem being is anytime you're playing big pots out of position, it's an inverse free roll. Like the pots you're going to win are not that big and the pots you're going to lose are pretty damn large. And Quite frankly, I don't think most people have the efficiency to play out of position. I don't have the efficiency to play out of position. It's something I've worked at and worked at and worked at when it comes to fielding three bets out of position. It's just not doable a lot of the time. What you're looking for, the other thing is they... Uh, uh, what, what you're looking for is to three bet people consistently... You will know you're doing the right thing when everybody at the table thinks you're a jackass. Because remember, 95% shot, that guy's a loser, right? So if the loser's calling you annoying, you're probably doing something right. Number two, show him the 4X. A lot of times, I just like showing a guy a 6X or a 4X open. I, I don't have to show it to him a bunch of times. But I show them a 4X open, show them another 4X open, then I open the 2X. Now I've cleared the way to not be 3-bet as much, right? Or sometimes uh, if I sit down at a table and I, you know, people do a lot of things to let me know that they know who I am, but they think they're being discreet, I'll just start with the 2X as they'll think it's a ploy. But the big thing you're always trying to avoid is not getting 3-bet. And a lot of people have a bias against a 3.5x open. They think that some aged reg from 2008 opening 8 plus ace-clean offsuit, it'll piss them off, but they won't do anything about it. I've gotten 100 emails from people saying, I used to think people who opened a 3.5x were so stupid, but I never did anything about it. That's the, that, those are all the plays you're looking for. In live poker... It, like, you got to win ugly. If you do a play that they can fold and chortle at you 
find that play. Because most of these guys are not playing poker to make money. They're playing poker to feel good about themselves. So another over bets are a big deal, right? Let's say, uh, it, let's say the board, you call out of the big line with A6 suited. The board comes 4, 5, 7. You check. He checks behind. He just told you. I don't have an overpair, I don't have two pair, I don't have a straight most of the time. I've got one pair overbet on the turn. Just overbet. See what he does. Most of the time he's just going to laugh at you and fold, and that's great because you have A6 high. And be comfortable looking like the idiot at the table. Uh, some population tendencies you'll find interesting. I've, a lot of my students have started recording hands. Uh, at, at their live tables and bringing these spreadsheets, the the four bet is so low that some of my students said, I don't even want to keep track of it. it. It's such a pain in the ass just to have that extra column on the spreadsheet. The three bet is around 5%, 6%, which is aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens. Check. Pretty much every time somebody check raises, they have it. You even look at a guy like Bart Hansen, right? Uh, crush live poker guy. And I, I assumed if there was any place people were check raising a bunch, because I know in uh, like $300, $500 tournaments, even up to like the 2Ks, people don't bluff enough on the flop, right? But I assumed if anyone was doing it, it would be in cash games because you have to balance it out a bit. But he even had something on Twitter the other day. Like, just so you know, every time somebody check raises you at low to medium stakes, it's very rarely a bluff. So when you bet one pair and a guy raises you on the flop, turn a river, chances are he has it. If I could just make my students fold every single one of those situations, I know they'd be wrong some percentage of the time, but I think they'd win much more. Uh, I think that should give you a pretty good starting point. Good luck to you. Okay, um, we got time for one last question, so we always try and do the three. Um, this one is anonymous. Hello, I like. Sorry, I like. I play semi-professional in the in the that poker. Sorry, anonymous. I'm reading this out as it is, and that's wrong. In that poker is a large part of my income. I grind out around one thousand to twelve hundred a month on average mostly from 100 NL. It's barely enough to cover my expenses just now, combined with my part-time job. I moved out of my parents' house, and I can't seem to get ahead either with savings or moving up in stakes. My shots have failed so far to, to consistently win at 200 NL and higher. I'd like to keep grinding 100 NL and working on my game, but I'm thinking of playing more MTTs for the chance of a bigger score and some money in one go to provide oh, some breathing space. Oh, sorry, go ahead. To provide some breathing space. What's your guys' advice? Thanks. Like, if you want to use 5%, 10% of your profits every month on MTTs, or 5... No, don't do it. I can already see where this is going. You feel where this is going, Barry? Yeah. Like, I'm looking for a way out. That's... No. If you're looking for a way out from poker, it's never going to give it to you. And you know what? The worst thing that could happen is if it does. Because a lot of people go broke because they got rich too soon. And you don't want to be one of those guys. Uh, and something, something I'm hearing here, my, fir my first question, what? 
like, believe me, I, I, uh, I moved out in high school and I liked living on my own. I like the privacy of living on my own. Or if I do have somebody in my place picking that person, uh, but my question is, if you're grinding out 100 NL and you have a part-time job, why, why'd you move out from your parents' place? Like, I, this, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, there's a very easy uh, ploy we can get here. Uh, there, there's a very easy edge we can get here by moving you back to your parents' place. Uh, now, I don't know what your relationship is with your parents, and... I'll say this. I was in a situation when I was younger where moving back home was not a possibility. And, yeah, it sucks playing poker and then, like, mowing lawns and stuff like that. But it was good. It does make your mind faster. This is something you're not realizing right now. You're in this, like, desperate situation right now. It's making you quick. It's making you smarter. It doesn't feel like it. But when you meet a guy who's 28, you can always tell the guy – who had mommy and daddy pay for everything versus the guy who moved out when he was 19 and started waiting tables. There's, there's a difference between the two guys. And now there are some people that take it too far. Usually drugs and alcohol will undo you. Uh, it'll take that drive you have living on your own and ruin it. But it can make you tougher so even though this process hasn't been enjoyable right now, it is making you tougher, and it is making you smarter, and it is making you quicker. But here's the thing. I don't know how old you are, but most of your 20s are supposed to be spent struggling. Uh, you should be adding to your talent stack, as Scott Adams would say, just trying to pick up different skills, PowerPoint, speaking Spanish, whatever it is, teaching uh, business writing, whatever it is, and trying to diversify. But you're supposed to be not having a lot of sleepless nights. I mean, you're supposed to be having a lot of sleepless nights. You're supposed to be working six days a week, and there's no such thing as breathing room in your 20s if you're there. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Gary Vee had a really good point, which was uh, the gentleman who put together Walmart did it when he was 44. So however old you are, just imagine taking a nap till you're 44 years old and then starting to grind that, and you still could make your mark on the world. Now, what's important in this time is not that you make money. It's that you learn. And right now, you've learned a very valuable skill, which many people don't have, which is how to support yourself from poker. There's a lot of guys that I talk to, and they say, I want... Well, first they say, I want to be, like, the greatest player. And I said, there is no great player. Like, if I bring up Phil Ivey, half the people will talk crap about him. If I bring up Phil Galfon, there's people that will talk crap about that, him. There's, you know, they'll always say, this guy is lucky. They'll always say, and the truth is, in poker, it's very hard for there to be a Kasparov or whatever his name is, right? Uh, the guy who just got denied being able to run for election in Russia. But it's very hard to be a superhero in poker, and the truth is you're never going to gain respect. If you're looking for respect from this game, and that's what most people are doing when they say, I want to be a great player, it's they want other people to respect them. And a lot of the people that will respect you as a poker player want something from you. And if they don't respect you, that's most the industry. 
people, a lot of these people are very jealous. And if they're jealous, they're not going to give you what you want. Now, if you're looking to make money, that's something that can be done in a game. But you can't say, I want to be the best at this one game and focus on this one game. One way you can make money and learn is to play Six Max Dash. I think uh, I have a really good track record in Six Max. I have, I think my WCOOP win was in Scoop. My huge six-figure F-top score was in a Six Max. Uh, I have live Six Max final tables. Uh, I want to say a number, yeah, a lot of my 100R wins came in 6-max, and that's because I played 3 million hands at 6-max. Mm, and a lot world, of it's... Sorry, one of the World Series ones as well, because I remember I knew someone else in the tournament at the time. Did you not? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Close, one of the World Series ones. Yeah, good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, I got I got final few tables, but yeah, set over set, not not good for the old bankroll. No. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, six max. Now the way I got that got there is I played three million ands of six max, and a lot of it was just me making a very basic income and barely getting by through my teens and early twenties. And but it makes you quicker. You're you're in a great situation right now with the the part time job and being able to make money from 100 NL, and I assume it's 6-max because most cash game players, well, there's only 6-max cash games most of the time, but if you want to be a great No Limit Hold'em player, you got to figure out how to play No Limit Hold'em in all of its ways. I played Syngo's NPPs cash tons, uh, tons of hands. The other thing people need to focus on is heads up, by the way. If you don't know how to play heads up, the, the two biggest payout jumps in a tournament are from, percentage-wise, are from no cash to the bubble cash and from second place to first place. If you can get through both of those gates with regularity, you will make a, more money from tournaments than you deserve to. And a lot of people, they say they want to be a tournament icon, and they just don't know how to play heads up. And, and that befuddles me. But... You're grinding it out. You're making do right now. That's about as good as it's going to get most of the time. Now, a lot of times I tell people, move back in with your parents. Save money. The problem is when mommy and daddy are paying for everything and you can just go play Xbox and there's no penalty, most people will do just that. And let's be honest, it's a... I could. I'd just be watching NBA playoffs the last couple of weeks, but I got work to do, and that's what keeps me going. Like none of us is better than that. If we act like we're better than that, that's BS. Most people get lazy once they have money for a reason. Humans usually are. Necessity is the mother of invention. I guess would be the best way to put it. You grinding it out right now, I don't know how old you are, but it's probably exactly where you should be. But you have to invest in your education. It's going to hurt. Like, you might play eight hours of cash games in a day. The day you're not working, you might feel like I'm absolutely tired. Well, you're going to have to sit there like a zombie and watch hours of training videos. You're just going to have to do it. You're going to have to pick a spot that your holding manager says you're not good at, and you have to look at it again and again and again and keep hitting your head against the wall until you get it. 
And again, going back to that minor league baseball coach, if you don't like it here, do a better job. You're chasing something if you go to MTTs. I'm not even going to recommend you play one on the side of your screen because you're looking for an escape, and honestly, I don't think you can handle it because that's how gamblers look at it. You're grinding it out right now. It's going fine. Keep investing in your education and keep being a professional poker player and realize there are millions of people all over the world that can't figure out how to do what you're doing. And just keep grinding it out. I promise it improves. And if I could say anything, diversify. And I don't mean go buy crypto. I mean teach yourself skills. Find things you enjoy. Read. Study. Turn off the television. Don't go out drinking. Save your money. One of the first things you can learn how to do, I bet a lot of your money is, because this is something I did when I was younger that was really stupid, which is a lot of my money went away because I was paying for takeout, like Barry was doing earlier, right? I, 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 spent, I bought takeout last night. It, it cost 40 bucks, right? It's a, it sucks your money out, whereas $40 worth of groceries and you learning how to cook, that's going to save a ton of money. Find ways to save money, right? Teach yourself different skills. Diversify. That's what's going to get you ahead, not playing tournaments and taking lottery tickets. Good luck to you. Okay. And that's all we have time for this week. Alex, how can people get in touch for details on your products, consultations, etc.? Write me uh, about anything at alexatpokeradrush.com, but just letting you know, I'm playing WSOPC Baltimore this weekend, so I probably won't get back to you until early next week. And, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at the Auto. and if you want to sign up for my newsletter where you get daily free strategy videos, free strategy videos that don't go up on YouTube, articles, podcasts, all that stuff, Go to my website, PokerHeadRush.com, where there's a new blog posted for everybody that was complaining. Go to PokerHeadRush.com. That's kind of my cheeky little blog. And in the top right corner, sign up for my newsletter. Okay. And keep your questions coming in for next week. Questions at OneOuter.com, and we will get them answered out either next week or on a future show. Alex, thanks again for your time this week, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.